I can't do this. Sure you can. Who knows, you might like it. It's a killer rush. Buddy, this is your fucking wake-up call, man! I am an FBI agent! Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg. Uh, welcome to another week uh, in isolation. Is that how the song goes? Was that the Bush one? I don't know. It was the John Lennon one. Oh. Solation. Yeah. I just forgot how it went. So I was singing the Imagination song from South Park oh, yeah, instead. Yeah. Um, it's Saturday recording here. We're remote recording again. It's Anzac Day in Australia. So that's that's a big deal for us. That's our big... Uh, yeah, look it up, 30%. It's important to us. Uh, our big day where we celebrate our uh, soldiers. Like an armistice day. Armistice day. It's a big deal down here. Typically, um, you do a dawn service... And then you start drinking and you spend the day at the pub um, and you play a game called Two Up, which is a big deal down here. It's basically heads or tails, but it's the one day you're allowed to do yep. it uh, legally. So it kind of takes over all the pubs and it's a really good time. Somewhat uh, subdued this year yeah. due to COVID. I've got a belly full of beer and Anzac biscuits. Absolutely. Mum. I picked up some Anzac biscuits from mum this morning when I dropped off for shopping. Uh, not homemade. Homemade. Uh, mine are Coles made. Well, my my problem is that mum's been making them quite regularly lately, and I've been yeah, eating you've been them. Talking about that <laughs> a lot. I've been I've been dipping them in, dipping them in my coffee all morning. Ah, oh, they're so good. I had to make more coffee so I could do more keep dipping. dipping. <laughs> keep on dipping. I think Bodie says that in this movie at some point. I think keep, he do. Do you hey, keep on dipping? If you want to live the ultimate life, you got to ultimately dip as much as you can. The system. That's right. So to respect the Anzacs, we're doing one of the most epic movies of all time. Spoiler alert on the on the verdict there. Point break. Yeah. I think that we're going to be pretty transparent with our verdicts throughout. Throughout. It's a, it's a big movie. It is. This is – I'm feeling a bit of pressure with this episode. Yeah, there, yeah. Because, you know, typically on a Friday we make a little uh, post on the social medias about the movie that's coming up in the following Monday so that everyone has a chance to watch it on the weekend. And uh, we had such a uproarious response to this one. It's like, it's about fucking time. And just in terms of the... Uh, amazing. Fucking the, the amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah. We haven't had that for any other... I mean, we've had it to varying degrees, but not to this degree. That's true. So pressure big, is on. Big friend of the show, Maddie Stevens, has been haggling for this one for a while. And I have uh, yeah. been... Uh, yeah, I, I've been reticent because... I feel it carries a certain amount of responsibility that I probably won't deliver on. It does. And it was the same. And there's certain movies like this, like Back to the Future. This lives in a different realm to that. But there's a few movies where it's like you almost put it off because you want to do it justice. So it's almost like, oh, let's not do that this week because that's a big fucking deal. If we're going to do that, we've got to be able to do it properly. So Uh hopefully we do it properly for you guys that we know this is an important movie. Is it possible for this film to be a friend of the show? I mean, I could put some some googly eyes on a VHS. That's a good idea. Pet VHS. Yeah. That's got to take off. 
<laughs> it's better than Pet Rock for sure. Mm. I've actually been thinking about like getting a VCR and setting up a little VHS corner in the studio. Oh, yeah. I've been following a lot of these types of things on the Reddit and such. And I think some movies, a bit, not to sound pretentious, but a bit like vinyl, some movies, the, the one that triggered it for me was someone had the box set of Freddy Krueger movies on VHS. Mm. And I was like, that's kind of sweet. Like, I, th- I think it would be more scary on VHS for some reason. Oh, yeah. Like, some, some impurities in the visuals, and you're like, oh, wait, what was that? Fuck. Like the ghost in Three Men and a Baby. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Exactly that. But this. Particular picture came out in 1991. It did. We haven't done many 1991 movies. We haven't. And look, there's a... Showdown Little a, Tokyo. It's a pretty rich... Double impact. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm, uh, I want to spend the most of today talking about Point Break, but I did just want to just touch on a couple of things from 91. Yeah. Because it was, there was a few um, cultural behemoths that came out in that year. Hundred percent, and I reckon for a movie that as timeless as Point Break, it's important to remind people of the the cultural context. Take them back to ninety one, you know. Well, a little sh- a little TV show called Seinfeld aired for the first time. Familiar with Seinfeld? Oh, right. I've heard of that. Nineteen ninety one gave us Seinfeld. Have you watched the pilot of that recently? I haven't. It's very different. Is it? There's no Elaine, and one of the waitresses at the whatever monks, at monks is, yeah. is like a main character. Like it's like a, it's very sitcommy. It's still very sitcommy, but even if you could imagine even more sitcommy. Was it Pearl Reeman? Rhea, Rhea Pearlman? Pearlman. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think about this lady a lot because she was the essentially the fourth lead on Seinfeld. Not really lead. She was more like a. I don't know, Wilson. And she's not in any other episodes. Like she was this close. Oh. I also think about I also think about the guy that nearly played George, which is the the dad from um Ten Things I Hate About You. You know how great he is? Oh, was he nearly George? He's good friends and he played the doorman in one episode, but he's good friends with Jerry because they're comedians together or whatever. And he just wasn't right for George. But you must think he must be a little bit like I could have been George. But I would have done George like this. Do you reckon he tells that one to everyone yeah. all so the my, time? So my whole take on George was he's misunderstood. He's pretty good <laughs> as the dad in uh, Ten Things, though. He's great. He's good. Yeah, he's good. And Jason Alexander is George. Just that's his. it. That's it. Ninety-one also gave us the Super Nintendo. Oh, that was a big year. Significant. At Christmas. I mm. got a Super Nintendo for Christmas, which was probably in 91, down at my grandparents' house with my dad that year and my cousins, and we got a Super Nintendo for Christmas with Street Fighter. Wow. And we set it up in the, um, we set it up in the garage, and um, my dad set it up and unplugged my grandfather's bait, bait freezer, <laughs> like his freezer with all his, like, fishermen and stuff. He and had we a got bait so freezer? Much- he had like he was my grandfather was so grandfathery like he was ah the best. I'm picturing the guy from I'm picturing Nick Off- Offerman. Actually, good to bring it up on on Buddy Anzac Day because he was in World War Two. I got um I, I tried to copy one of his tattoos that he used to have on his forearm of a horse. My grandfather yeah, took to uh, to the war. His mother gave him a poem that was cut out of uh, the newspaper. 
and it said things like, "When I come back home, I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna start a farm, I'm gonna get a dog, I'm gonna marry or whatever, you know, like." And he came back from the war and did all those things, and he held on to that cutout throughout the whole war. So that's why my bush. That's the poem was called Bush Fever. So that tattoo with the horse, that's Bush Fever. I mean, that's a beautiful story, but the punctuation there for me was Bush Fever. Bush Fever, yeah. It's, <laughs> sounds like a 70s porno, man. Well, this is what I've realized since getting this tattoo is that uh, out of context. <laughs> bush, bush Fever could be Because Bush Fever else. in the wholesome context that was where my grandfather had that poem was the draw to come back to the bush. Like That's what it was all about. Um, that's but a out beautiful of context, story. it sounds like a porno. Um, but it is a beautiful story. The point Can of the story was we used to go to my grandfather's, my, my grandparents every Christmas or so with my dad. And this particular year we got the Super Nintendo. But my dad was living in Singapore at the time and got us the Singapore version of Super Nintendo, which meant we could never buy any more games. So we only played Street Fighter because you couldn't oh. buy local games. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Round 432,000. Bye. That was pretty good. Um, now the final tidbit for ninety one. This has probably gone a bit longer than we anticipated. I anticipated. Uh, it also gave us the sexiest man alive for People Magazine. Who do you think it is this year? Fuck ninety one. No, 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 I'll give you a clue. He's in this movie. Oh, Patrick Swayze. The Swayze. Yeah, it makes sense because this is post-Ghost. Oh, of course it makes sense. makes sense every year. He should just be every – they should cancel the whole thing every damn year. Well, it would be a tie between him and, and The Blueprint, I guess. That's true. I think that's a different award though. That's Man- manly, reckon- manliest award. Manliest, manliest man award. <laughs> yeah. The Magnum Award. Swayze is is almost like the the passing of the baton to the to, to the modern man, to the sensitive new age guy. Every Swayze role has that that feminine side to it. Oh, they're still doing Sexiest Man Alive. Oh, they are. Okay, I, do you want to? I'll give you a clue. See if you can guess who this year is. Oh, plays piano and sings like like that. Oh, wait, John Legend is he Sexiest Man Alive? Yeah. He might, because I used to do that duet with Carol. Um, I will stay. With oh no, that's the one we. That's the one we sang at our wedding. Oh, what's the other duet? What's the other one? Uh, yeah, we sang a John Legend song at our wedding. There you go. We did a mm. surprise duet. Poor yeah. guests. I saw him at Blues Fest once. I'd rather see him at like my house. Yeah. Like he's like, oh yeah, I've got a piano. Maybe I'll play it later. It's the exact inverse of when I have people at my house. Because I have people over and then I try to convince them to let me play piano. What do you mean? We let you play the piano. It was great. We played at Carol's birthday. Oh, uh, yeah. No, you're a good crowd. Other people, not so much. And Ara's like, really? stop. Really? Does that happen? It's not really the other people. It's more that Ara will, uh, she, she, I think she just is like, mm, maybe not tonight. <laughs> Read the room, Tristan. Yeah, Read yeah. the room. But I think I am reading the room and I think it's a bloody good idea. I suspect so. I think- <laughs> R is getting it wrong. Yeah, it is the children who are wrong. Um. Ah, so that was 91. Good times, good era. It's a good year. What if I told you it was a good year for movies too? Yeah, I was, can you Yeah, can you give me a bit of a flavour? Top 10, was, number one movie in 1991 globally was Terminator 2. 
Yeah, of course. Uh, number two, Beauty and the Beast. Number three, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. That will be a fun one to do, though. We should do it soon. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, number four was Hook. Number five, Silence of the Lands. Number six, JFK. Number seven, Adam's Family. Number eight, Cape Fear. Number nine, Hot Shots. Number ten, Sleeping with the Enemy. But do you know what came in at number 47? What? Double impact. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you, but do you know what came you in? Joker. Do you know what came in at number 16? Point break. I would have thought this would have been a top ten film, to be honest. I think it's. I think it, it picked up more steam post. I was kind of surprised to see it in, in the sleeping with the enemy. Like, I mean, what the fuck? I don't. This was the days when. I mean, we talked about this. Nineteen. What was eighty nine? Three Men and a Baby was the number one movie in the US. Like, yeah, it's a different time. It's a different time, man. Hey, uh... I hear. I hear. I think if you look specifically at the US top ten, maybe Point Break would have been in there. Yeah, probably. Or the top ten of my heart. But sixteen in the world, in a time when uh, a, a little twenty-six-year-old named Keanu Reeves was best known for playing Tad, it's not bad, man. No, it's not, not bad, bad at all. It's not bad. Just, so it came out. I just thought it, it, it just holds a higher place in. It does. It's know. one of those movies that is it, over the years, it's really snowballed. Mm. Um, it came out in July 1991, budget of $24 million with a gross of $83.5 million, which is pretty darn good as reflected in the numbers there. Um, Rotten Tomato scores is interesting. So from a critic point of view, 69%. But from an audience point of view, 79%. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree now. I think so too. I, I think... What what I've started to learn with the Rotten Tomatoes stuff is that I think the critic score is obviously heavily influenced by critics at the time the movie came out, whereas audience score is more so evergreen, recent. Yeah, so I think this movie may have been misunderstood when it first came out from a few critics, but we'll get into all of that. I'm sure we've already been pretty transparent in how we feel about this movie, but. When it first came out, or when you first saw it, Greg, was this like a was this a big one for you? I'm going to say yes. Yeah, it was, and I think it was in that territory. So 91, I'm you know I'm nine years. I probably was about ten years old when I watched it. Yeah, and I can't remember the context of seeing it for the first time, but I knew it was one of those movies that was up on a pedestal. Oh, and I just remember thinking these guys were gods, and I was getting to more of that in the rewatch. But like they were just yeah. They were gods. They were literal yeah. specimens, the pinnacle of cool, really. Yeah. And I was just a kid looking at that in awe. And at, at every step of the way. 100%. They were surfing. They were playing footy on the beach at night. They were night surfing. They were robbing banks. They were skydiving. It's true. Oh, man. And we'll get into more of the Catherine Bigelow bit, but, like, it's the perfect boys movie. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the rare movies of this era that I remember vividly, well, relatively vividly, in terms of it was it was it was a bit of an ongoing ritual for me. So, 
Um, so when I was a kid around this time, well, when, oh, the whole time I was a kid, <laughs> my, my parents separated. So my dad lived overseas and so we'd go to my dad's place in Singapore a couple times a year. And in those days, most of the TV channels in Singapore were not in English, but we had this recorded VHS of Point Break. And so this became like, we'd watch it over and over and over again. It was like a a real thing. And I think I, I yeah. watched it, it must have been pretty close to when it came out. Let's call it 93 probably the latest. So I still would have been 9, 10 years old, right? So pretty young. But this was – and so I didn't know who these people were. I didn't know if this was a big movie or a small movie. This was just a movie that I saw all the time. Mm, yeah, it was, right. um Yeah, I watched it a lot, man, a lot. And um, I think like – And like loving point, it. Oh, loving it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think uh, when I'm – I've rewatched it twice this week. Not to get into the rewatch oh, yet, but good. I rewatched it twice this week because it took a while for me to actually – get in the zone and pay attention to what is happening as opposed to it just being a collection of scenes, which is, I think is maybe how I watched it as a kid. You know, you're just like, and a bunch of stuff happened and it wasn't that interesting. Well, it's in just, that's interesting and we'll talk about that because it's the collection of scenes idea is almost how I had to go about my notes. So that's right. that's a really interesting point. Yeah, that, yeah, And maybe yeah, that's yeah. just because that's how my memory has framed this movie. Yeah, because I – to. Because I think when I was a kid, I wasn't I wasn't seeing the red string that ties it all together. I was just like, and then this happened, and, and that's cool. And I think to the point where someone in the house would always be watching it, and you just kind of walk in and out, and you'd watch bits of this movie. And I think, I think I hadn't watched it properly from beginning to end for at least ten years. I think I probably had a nostalgic watch, like in I don't know the, the DVD era. So much of it is so familiar that it's hard to watch it with fresh eyes. But um, yeah, agree. There were a few things, like Laurie Petty, as I mentioned in um, the League of Their Own, was a pretty big deal for me, and it probably started with this movie. <laughs> there, there were a couple of things that, even at that time, stuck with me forever. Two of the main ones were Anthony Kiedis being in it because my sister loved Red Hot Chili Peppers. I think that was maybe around the time of Blood Sugar Sex Magic maybe. I don't know. Or at least when we watched it. So that was like culturally significant for me. Yeah. But then also for whatever reason, uh, the meatball sandwiches stuck with me. Yep. The, I, th- I was like, what's a meatball sandwich? Like in those days we didn't have Subway in Australia. We didn't, our, our sandwiches were relatively uh, traditional. But they had they had more of a British uh, influence our sandwiches, so we yeah, would you have be a ham with, sandwich. We'd have ham, <laughs> yeah. And there wasn't much beyond a ham sandwich back in ninety. Well, not in my world, Devon. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, why don't I get into the origin story real quick? Origin story. What if I told you, Greg, that in uh, nineteen eighty six there was a little movie being uh, formulated, titled Johnny Utah, starring Matthew Broderick. <laughs> Why is everything penned originally with Matthew Broderick? <laughs> yeah, even Breaking Bad. Matthew Broderick, directed by Ridley Scott. Oh. How about this? I, I'll, I'll rewind slightly, but I thought that would be a nice little teaser, but I'll, re- I'll rewind slightly. So a producer named Rick King came up with the idea of, uh, you know, 
beach robberies while mm-hmm. while on a beach and reading an article about bank robberies. Beautiful. Con- it's not. A, is that is that a constraint? No, that's not. a constraint. It's the opposite of constraint. It's ultimate convenience. Yeah, okay. This is police cops. <laughs> and so he came up with this idea, and he paid a screenwriter by the name of W. Peter Illuf to write a screenplay around this idea, basically. So he paid him six grand. This kid. This kid still was waiting tables because that wasn't enough to live on or whatever. But he went on to make Patriot to write Patriot Games and Varsity Blues, so he's fine. But in those oh, days, so he found good young talent. He, yeah, he did. He did. He can pick a table waiter. Yeah, <laughs> he can. As it turns out. So this was initially titled Johnny Utah. It was not called Point Break at this juncture, mm. and they were out there trying to get some red hot talent. Talent by the name of Matthew Broderick. Talent by the name of Johnny Depp. Talent by the name of Val Kilmer. Talent by the name of Charlie Sheen. Talent by the name of a young Willem Dafoe. Dafoe said no. What was Dafoe going to be? Johnny Utah. They were all going to be Johnny Utah. Yeah, right. Oh, they're all Utah. All of these people. Oh, these are all potential Utahs. Because actually I think, thinking of recasties, Val Kilmer would be a great Bodie, potentially. Oh, well, now Val. Well, maybe not quite now. Val Kilmer would be a good. He'd be a good Boosie. He'd be a good Boosie. Yeah, it's a good recasty. He'd be a good Boosie. Um, needless to say, well, it's not really needless to say. It needs to be said. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's something else. <laughs> it's the opposite of needless to say because I need to say it. This iteration <laughs> of the film fell through. <laughs> I, I think I said needless to say because I'm not sure exactly why it fell through, but it did fall through. It didn't happen. Needless to say, this isn't a movie because it's not. So you're good, man. I support you. Well, yeah, needless, actually, needless to say, it didn't happen, right? Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just caught up. Uh, welcome but, to Double but, Impact, the <laughs> podcast where we double back on things we say and try and work out if it was correct or best left in the past. Well, good Double impact where Tristan's double fisting beers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I couldn't tell you why it fell through. So maybe needless to say, but perhaps to say why, couldn't tell you. Wow. So uh, four years later, James Cameron is one of the executive uh. producers on a script that's been secured by a production company named Johnny Utah, I think still at this point. He was married to a director by the name of Catherine Bigelow. Mm-hmm. Sure was. Catherine Bigelow, James Cameron, um, you're probably familiar with those two days because Catherine Bigelow won Best Director over James Cameron in 2010. What a Respect. moment that was. Yeah. We'll First female director, wasn't she at that point? I think the only. There's only been five nominated. Some, that's yeah. some That's some bullshit. Shit. Yeah. Um, so she just released an action movie starring Jamie Lee Curtis titled Blue Steel and was ready for her next project. I know I was attracted to it right from the beginning because I love the paradox that it set up. You have these two worlds in direct opposition to one another. The world of surfing juxtaposed with the sort of penal system. I mean, it's a system versus like the anti-system. Now, James Cameron does say that her, him and uh, Bigelow did have a lot of rewrites. Um, they rewrote the script quite a bit apparently. Although OG boy Peter Illuf gets any writing credit, so who knows. But I'm sure, at the very least, Catherine had a lot of influence on what we fucking saw on screen for obvious reasons. But, yeah, so they're in, um, you know, there are a lot of names being thrown around. I think Johnny Depp was still being thrown around. He looks like a Utah. 
he kind of does. You could see that happening. Um, I don't know if it would be good, but you could see it. Um, but Piccolo only wanted one person, a person by the name of Keanu Reeves, which it's kind of crazy. I didn't really think about this before this episode, but just the, the time in which this all went down, he was a comedy boy. He was Ted. It was a small role in parenthood. Still oh, in like a course. bit of a he was, doofus. He was great in parenthood. Yeah, but, but that's about it though. There was no action star to his persona. A bit like no. probably even more so than Bruce Willis in Die Hard. Like this is controversial casting. Like this mm-hmm. is oddball. This is oddball casting. And she leaned right in on it. And it's quite early. I mean, Bruce Willis deviated early as well. This was his twenty six. Keanu was twenty six. Yeah, it's an early. It's an early transi- transition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It seems crazy to think that he wasn't an actor. Well, yeah, like Bruce, I guess. I don't think he'd be. Could he? Be, would he be capable of comedy now? Well, he's doing Bill and Ted three. Touche. Yeah, and he did that one that always be my maybe. That was pretty funny, the cameo. As oh, himself. yeah, that's true. He's he, got it in him, I reckon. He's got it yeah, in him. good point, good point. But but it's at this point that they realised that the naming the movie Johnny Utah is a terrible idea. Yeah. So they came up with an equally terrible idea of calling it Riders on the Storm, like the Doors song. I am familiar Riders with the Doors song. Um, Which has nothing to do with surfing. It's interesting, yeah. There's, some, there's obviously some... Um, some Jim Morrison cues or some Jim Morrison fandom, the Jim the Jim Morrison themed house party they have. Oh, good point. Anyway, yeah, because, and um, uh, what's his name? I think Hendrix Hendrix is, Hendrix is playing. Yeah, that's interesting. You know what that reminded me of though? When I was a, a young child, when I was a child, child. I I half acidly tried to write a movie <laughs> called Riders on the Storm. Oh, stop. <laughs> Yeah, when I was a kid. And it was um the idea was a Western. And I had just seen Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And so the aesthetic of that and the like the, the treatment of that and like the fast zoom in and the yeah, I was like, Nobody makes Westerns anymore. Let's make more Westerns. Mm. That's how I talked as like a ten year old. Um uh, so they realized eventually in due course that, that name also sucked, it had nothing to do with anything. And so they came up with the name Point break, primarily because it's a surfing term. But I like to imagine that maybe breaking point, point break, like there's something in there. It feels like there's some tension. And let me tell you, this movie has tension. Well, why don't you wait for my synopsis? (laughs) Interesting. Anyway. Interesting. uh, Broader cast, I'm sure we'll talk about broader cast as we go through, but Laurie Purdy, Gary Boosie, they're all in there. The whole gang's here. And some of the old surfer bros were actual real surfers. Those that weren't had real surfing lessons. Oh, they had training. lessons? Wow. Wow. By um, ex-professional surfer Dennis Jarvis in Hawaii. Yeah. And then they went and made the movie. And then the movie got released and the movie came in at number 16 in, in 1991. Why don't I play the trailer? Please. On the coast of Southern California, you can only surf... Party and make love for so long before it's time to go to work. Rock and roll. 27 banks in three years. Anything to catch the perfect wave. I'm not a crook. 
Patrick Swayze. Fear causes hesitation, and hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. Keanu Reeves. And you think I joined the FBI to learn to surf? Point break. Adios, amigo! Doesn't quite feel like this movie, does it? Hmm. It's missing a few elements. I chose that one because it had a voiceover. There, there was a better trailer. But it was very visual. It was visual. Mm. Yeah, you, you yeah. just hear music does and not, a couple of doesn't scenes. Doesn't help our, our friends of the show, does it? So much. You know what does help our friends of the show? A little plot synopsis by one Greg Carney. Ah, oh, happy to help. Happy to help. <clears throat> okay, here I go. Mm. Point break. How far will Bodhi go? And at what point <laughs> will it break? Oh, okay. Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, known from Wild Wild Country on Netflix. Jim Jones and the People's <laughs> Temple. Charles Manson. Bodhi. What like is it reading. about cult leaders that enables them to have such influence and control over their followers? Their charisma, charm and gravitas has seen thousands of seemingly regular people fall under their spells, committing acts of violence, crime and deviancy, often against their regular character. Charisma, charm and gravitas. Bodhi has all this and a whole lot more. He and his followers seek the endless summer, sticking it to the system, robbing banks, getting barreled and getting laid. Their bohemian... Existence is idyllic. The 50-year storm is next year. Nothing but good times ahead. Enter quarterback punk Johnny Utah and crazy man Pappas as they hone in on their charade or charade. (laughs) Utah treads a fine line, being drawn into Bodhi's spell more and more each day, struggling to determine right from wrong. He's also banging Bodhi's ex, presumably in a quest to get closer to Bodhi's holy genitals. (laughs) But as the case with all cult leaders, devastation and demise is never far away. Mm. Bodhi's true colours shine as he sacrifices all to pursue the quest. His team pleads with him, I, for one, am scared. I said we get the (laughs) fuck out of here. His response, I know exactly what to do with him. Don't worry. But Bodhi decides yeah. to hit the vault. You never, never hit the hit vault. The, you never cross the streams. It's a tale of how one man's personal quest will result in the demise of all those around him. Mm. But mostly it's a love story between the universe oh. and Bodhi. <laughs> Damn right, man. Fuck yeah, it is. Bodhi's really something, isn't he? Fuck, he is something. Love him or I hate think him. As an, this is such as a perfect an, character. He's a great character. He's a fucking good he character. He's not perfect, but the character is yeah, yeah. flawless. Flawless. As a character, he's great. Because you're you're torn. You're you're almost as torn as Utah is. Like You feel it. You kind of buy his shit, right? Like there was a quote. I've got a whole list of great quotes that I won't go oh, into now, but one of them many. But one of them I legit buy into and it gives me a moment of like I could see myself falling for those blue eyes and succumbing to the power of the cult that is Bodhi 
Bodhisattva or whatever his full name is. Bodhism. Um, but no, Bodhi Bodhisattva. Oh, he has a surname? That's a nickname because Bodhisattva is a term in Buddhist religion meaning an enlightened being who out of compassion forgives Nirvana in order to save others. Bodhi oh. means wake, wakefulness. But anyway, the quote that, that I got me was... Um, you see, fear causes hesitation. And hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. Which I thought was pretty good because it's kind of, it is true. Yeah. Project <laughs> violence. No, what is it? Project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Project something. Sorry, that was just. Projecting things. I'm just projecting. Proje- projecting here. I'm projecting here. But I agree. Uh, so, yeah, he's a great character. I mean, I'm sure we'll dive more into that in, in, in more in, in depth. But overall thoughts. Give us your rewatch, yeah. Um, it's just so gosh darn entertaining, man. There's no boring bits. There's no there's no dull moments. Like a yeah. lot of these movies we rewatch. I think there is certainly a trend around pacing of movies over the years. Yeah. And a lot of the old yeah. ones do have like they're not dull moments, but it's just different pacing. And you, you do find yourself getting distracted or like there's just you're glued <laughs> the entire time, I feel. There's no bad bits. It's like she made yeah, a five no hour movie bits. and just stripped it back till it was all all important. All the good bits. Yeah, it's like if we edited down our podcast to be eight minutes long. Mm. It's just all the good bits. <laughs> it's all the good bit. <laughs> and and it's not just – and it's more than good bits actually because there's genuine moments. There's moments, man. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's just real kind of visceral – I don't know how to describe them because they're just things but they impact you. Like the, the surfing scenes are good and just the way she depicts the ocean and shit and – the bank robbery things and the masks, like there's such a s- strong aesthetic there of just like, I don't know. She's a master of her craft. Uh, she absolutely is. And that iconic Bodhi looking back in the Reagan mask and it just zooms on in his eyes and you're like, there's so much going on there, man. Mm. See it into my brain. See it into my brain. No. Oh. <laughs> How could you? How could yeah. you shoot at those baby blues? No chance. Oh man, you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. Can't be done. It's an impossibility. Lawnmower face. Getting getting the face in the the old face in the lawnmower. Oh, one of the most stressful lawnmower scenes since Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Yes, there are very visceral action sequences in this film. Yeah, and it's just tension. There's so much tension the entire oh. time. The, the tension is real. I think that's why you're drawn in the whole time. And then right? it and then it's just like counterbalance with these really soft ocean sort of sequences. Yeah. And I think that's why you have so much tension because you're so emotionally invested because of this bromance. Mm. Especially the, the third act when they both know that each other know but they kind of act like they don't. But then all that shit with like the swapping of the parachute bags, like all that stuff is just so loaded with tension mm. that you're just like leaning forward the entire time. Even now uh, with 30 30. Years later, or whatever it is, it's crazy, man. There, I mean, there are some dumb parts that not dumb, but parts that I am willing to forgive. Yeah, like he's really latched onto this idea of the fifty-year storm, based on one data point of there being a storm once. So you can't really diagnose a pattern out of that. <laughs> I would argue, <laughs> like why fifty years? Uh, yeah, just the. the what about yeah. Bodhi says to you, Dada, Tristan? 
the the data bit's interesting, isn't it? Because they, um, you know, when he joins the FBI, the first call out is here. We crunch the data here. That's how we go. We're data analysts. We crunch the numbers yeah, and work it out. I was like, oh, that's so. You're suggesting that data is not the answer in this particular situation. Yeah, I think the data side of things is reflected in the FBI. Quite, mm. you know, it's it's the yin and yang of this film. Yeah, and uh, and our dear Utah is is the snaky line that sits between both a thin porous membrane dividing data and emotion, <laughs> wrapped up in a very handsome young man. <laughs> yeah, shit, man, nearly broke my TV. <laughs> <laughs> both the, that first moment, like in the, um, I think when he first passes his FBI <laughs> shooting test or whatever, me and Aro both went, oh fuck. <laughs> Can I, can I tell you a funny story? Um, not this rewatch, but I did make Carol watch this movie early in our dating years because, you know, there's sort of things you need to introduce them to um, and Point Break was one for her. Yeah. Very – I had actually – I'd never noticed that Catherine – I didn't really know who she was, to be to be frank, that long ago. Yeah, no, same. And this isn't that long ago. This is this probably is seven years This is the first time ago. I've watched it since knowing who she is, probably, basically. Yeah. I think the last time I was yeah. – I was like, oh, that's the chick that did Hurt Locker. It's Hurt Locker, right? Right. Yeah. But so it must have been around that time. But she's like, Oh, this is blatantly directed by a chick. I'm like, What do you mean? She goes, Look at all these like these guys all in like their shirts off in like these beautiful montages of perfect specimens. I was like, Oh. Yeah. It's kinda of, it's kinda of like Top Gun. I don't even know if that's directed by a girl, but it's like got that sort of no, that's Tony Scott. But I think uh, there's more there's more at play here and you're right, because there's there's a there's a lot there. Because earlier in the week, when you were watching it, I think you texted me and said, "Oh yeah, that basically, like, oh yeah, you can tell this is directed by a woman," and that stuck with me. And I kept thinking about that, and I was like, "You can." And there's obvious ones like kind of portraying that masculinity as a little bit romantic, but then there's also just choices throughout that. Um, are uniquely I I'm not gonna say the whole reason this movie is good is because the director's a female. She's a talented director. But part of it, I think, is as a result of like the female point of view, right? Like there's like something going on here. <laughs> Even the, the casting choices, like Laurie Petty. Laurie Petty was not supposed to be a Laurie Petty type. In the script we had envisioned a more of a quintessential surf chick. You know, all the People that are blonde and stars now, we saw who are 35, we saw when they were 20. And I think this is just one really specific example of what a female director might bring to a movie like this is casting not a Barbie doll as the girlfriend. Like, you know, you know, you said you can tell this is directed by a female. And it made me think about the fact that there aren't many female directors. This isn't a girly movie, right? The fact that this is like a, a, a bro down movie directed by a woman that's come to life in such a fresh perspective mm. that you can tell is directed by a woman, it just makes you wonder how many other female perspectives are we not getting? Are we missing out on? Yeah, we're missing out on so much shit, man, because... It's a whole half of a universe of perspective that we're not getting. Yeah, exactly. So every other action movie up until this point and probably since has been the same dude-directing-dude action, yeah. which is why you end up with like a remake of this, which is Fast and the Fur- You end up with Vin Diesel instead of Patrick Swayze. Yeah. You know what I mean? Fast and Furious is basically this, 
without Catherine Bigelow. A hundred percent. You choose like literal. Yeah, and and Paul Paul Walker would have been a great Johnny Utah. He actually would have on paper, yeah, right. But, but maybe missing the nuance. But if Vin yeah. Diesel is to males what Patrick Swayze is to the female version. Give me the female version every day of the week. Sorry, Vin. Exactly. There's just there's layers there that just aren't. There's layers in this just aren't there in like. Yeah. A, and and not to shit all over the Fast and the Furious, it has a role in pop culture. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a great franchise. Uh, I got a question for you. Yeah. What about when he goes to buy the surfboard? This is a great scene. Surfing will change your life, dude. Yeah. From a from a fourteen year old. Classic line. Do you remember that guy? Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. It's Zach from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. And he died. He died. So I looked him up because I was like, what happened to him? He was like, he was, you know, in those early 90s, late 80s, sort of more early 90s. Like he was kind of in a few things. He died of a drug overdose like 10 years later. He sort of did a bunch of TV-ish stuff. Yeah, poor guy, man. It's up there with Brad Renfro. Yeah, well, I think... I think Brad Renfro is a real tragedy. I think he's more of a Heath Ledger esque tragedy. Yeah, I agree. Like he he was he, he was had a, something. He was special. Every movie he was in was like a this guy, man. He's yeah, he was he was going to be uh, a great. I firmly believe. Yeah, Brad I Renfro. Yeah. For our friends of the show who are going, who's Brad Renfro? Well, he's the kid in in one of those John Grisham ad- adaptations. He was with in Sandra, Sleepers, right? With Sandra, Susan Sarandon, my senior crush. <laughs> oh, yeah, senior crush. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that category. <laughs> Would she be okay with that? I don't know. How old yeah, is she? I think at this point. She's such a babe. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, um, yes, Brad Renfro, very special. That's um, good. That's all I had to say about that scene, though. Good scene. Good scene. All right, so just to round out the Bigelow stuff. So this is not an unusual choice for her. So she's kind of always telling these stories of masculinity or interesting perspectives on masculinity, which is kind of cool. And you've got to think, I mean, we'll probably get into this a little bit more in the verdict, but you've got to think that in less capable hands, on paper, a lot of this script might have come to life quite differently, i.e., Fast and the Furious, like or um, Point Break, the remake exactly, which is kind of then a remake of Fast and the Furious. It's it's all over. The, it's just a weird legacy happening here. But um, I kind of like to think of her as the type. You know how when you're like preparing for a presentation at work or something, and some smart person comes in and says, "Oh, actually, no, what you're trying to say is this," and actually, this is the key point here. It feels like she she would have come in and done that with the script. Like she just yeah. got. It seems like she's got a really clean eye, and she's. But I feel like she just got this this strong structural, the way she pulled this thing together is just so fucking tight. Yeah, man. that's that's what I meant by it's a master just, of her craft. Like she just yeah yeah. It feels, it doesn't feel like this movie is a fluke. Yeah, exactly. Because in less capable hands, you we wouldn't even be talking about it right now. Like we talked about the action and the pacing and the tension uh-huh. throughout. This movie doesn't let up. It's just constant. And there's, there is a lot in there to unpack around masculinity and what it means, what it all means. But there's also like a shitload of technical stuff too, which is people like us, we're just a couple of guys, we don't know this stuff, we're not film students, but 
it's it's like it's like it's like the bass player in your favorite band. You don't notice that you notice it, but you notice <laughs> it. Like yeah. <laughs> she, it's like there's technical stuff she's doing. She, I've got a little clip here of her talking about some of it. Right. There's a lot of like early Steadicam because you know we talk about Steadicam in um, uh, Goodfellas. That was early uh-huh. days. That was one year before this. You're faced, I think, with an obligation, responsibility. How to do it differently? How can you do it differently? How can it be? somehow from a thematic standpoint from um just a construction mechanical standpoint and ultimate you know effect and impact how can you do it differently so it's really a combination of shots i mean you have you have handheld masters where the cameraman is um kind of countering the movement of the actor in other words which of course are broken by cutting but the actor is moving through the whole sequence and the cameraman is moving constantly counter to his moves. And it just creates a kind of sense of, a sense of momentum that uh, is sort of like the way the human eye perceives momentum anyway, as opposed to a static camera. About the chase sequence, which goes on forever and is completely extraordinary. It was just an extrapolation on, on technique, you know, finding this kind of narrow chambers, almost like a maze-like situation and wanting to be wanting, wanting it to feel kind of like you know truly amazing and uh, almost like mr toad's wild ride you know every time you go you know you turn right and you, you know you're faced with something you have to turn left and you know something you go through you know this sort of series of corridors and obstacles and, and uh constantly being met by uh, you know more and more surprises i reckon the foot chase is a good example of the whole damn thing because like yeah there's no explosion, or there are some before the foot chase. There's some explosions, but there's no. Yeah, it, it's just two guys running, and it's so fucking exciting, and you're like, you're in. It's fucking hardcore. Like, that's the sign of a good director. Hundred percent. The the trope of the car, like the car chase is the you know mo- probably the most ubiquitous trope in action history, yeah. right? And yeah, there's a little bit of that in here, but it's it's not the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not it's not the it's not the pinnacle of of the of the chase or of the of the you know it's detention. so ordinary in it's this technically like crazy little one on one foot chase through as she talks about this maze of these streets around Venice or wherever they are yeah. and like the dog he turns a corner and the guy throws the pit bull in his face Man, it's like ah oh. the dog and like one of the most intense parts is the little lock the sliding door just lock, a little just lock a little- <laughs> you know. But that shit's intense. And then yeah, he, and so on that one, she had like they call it pogo cam or something. So the cameraman's like running with Keanu or in front of Keanu, and like all that shit's going on. So there's some hardcore action happening here, man. Oh, it's like the yeah we talk, said with the, with the house raid, you know, like it's uh, it's such yeah. visuals action. Like Anthony Kiedis getting shot in the foot. We you know when he's behind the door yeah, he, yeah, and yeah. he shoots him in the foot, and he's wearing those big white pumps, and the blood yeah. like bursts out. It's like and Anthony yeah. Kiedis gives a a key to say scream yeah oh man it is good action it's raw it's raw it's raw hey that wasn't um that wasn't Swayze in the uh in the foot chase he was apparently he was off uh he was off doing the press tour for ghost in europe and couldn't do that scene they must have had tight schedules these dudes right like, you know, if you've got yeah. back-to-back movies, you're like, I can't be there for that scene. I'm going to go do this tour, then I'll fly back for that scene. Like, that's a hard job, like, isn't it? That sounds hard. It's crazy because this in this one year, Keanu had this 
I think like uh, within the same month, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey came out. Within the same year, uh, My Own Private Idaho came out. That's that movie he did with River Phoenix. Yep. That's supposed to be. Uh-huh. I never saw that. It's supposed to be good. So this is this is a big fucking year for you, Keanu. And just a couple of months earlier, he had a little role in a video clip with a little songstress by the name of Paula Abdul. The song called Rush, Rush. Do you remember that song? Hurry, hurry, love, come for me. That one? Yeah. Isn't that yeah. a Madonna song? And not just... It's a, that's what I thought. I was like, I don't think I know... I don't think I knew Paula Abdul songs. I but love yeah, this, this song. song right here. It's good. It reminds me of school dance. <laughs> it's got that vibe to it. But he's in the video. He's he's starring in the video. This is like a... The whole thing is uh, trying to be like a modern rendition of Rebel Without a Cause or something. But then... um. He actually has a speaking part in it. Can I ask you something? Have you ever been in love? If I wasn't in knowing. You? No. Isn't that terrible? Terrible. No. <laughs> it just reminds you that we're all alone, that's all. He was still fresh, man. I was watching a lot of Keanu interviews this week from 1991. I'll put them on Insta. They're, they're not all relevant right now, but he's fresh. He is just a kid. The he doesn't have the gravitas that he has now in terms of just being in a room, being interviewed. Yeah, he's got he's got the looks though. He's got the looks, and he's got like this this shy boy charm going on. But he's not he's not fully formed Keanu. He like when you know? that that little clip there when he was like. Reminds me that you're alone. Reminds me when he goes in to charm the pants off Laurie in the opening scene. Yeah. And he goes, um, no, wait. Give me surfing lessons. Parents died. And it's like, yeah. Everything I've ever done is like, you know, he just like launches in. And she's like, yeah, you're super good looking. So I'll do this. Exactly. Because he's, again, trying to put your head in, in 1991. Like there's definitely some acting ability that he hasn't quite formed yet when it's getting to like prolonged amounts of time of him talking by himself where he kind of starts to lack some. <laughs> it's like, no, yeah. you know, he's not really. He's Keanu. Yeah, he's dripping, slipping. And, um, but, but then action, which we wasn't known for, he's fucking killing it. It's fucking great. But there's this great little clip too of Swayze and Keanu promoting this movie in Japan, which I, I won't play the full thing. I'll put it on Instagram, but there's just this great little bit of him shitting on other movies <laughs> that are out around the same time. I mean, the trend for making bad, stupid films? Uh, they're just uh, formulaic, pap, uh, backdraft, Robin Hood. Get out of here, man. That's <laughs> awful stuff. You know, they're trying, I know they're trying to affect me with sight and sound and, you know, blind me and, like, give me some kind of experience, but there's no story, no heart, no anything, you know? And, and that's just, like, I got no time. <laughs> that's great. Good on him. Yeah. But it's pretty crazy, man, because, yeah, all these movies coming out the same year and it's kind of poetic in a way, although I don't, I'm not sure what the latest release dates are, but I think this year or maybe next year there's going to be Keanu weekend because Bill and Ted 3 and Matrix 4 are going to come out in the same weekend. It's kind of crazy. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. 
It's a thing, Keanu Weekend. I mean, they, they didn't plan it that way, but culturally it's become, it's become that. Now, you mentioned earlier that when you first watched this movie, well, your, sorry, your memories of this film were like a sequence of scenes. And yeah. I think the beauty of this film is the tightness of some of these scenes, as a, and they are kind of a collection of awesome little scenes. So I thought yeah. it might be... You know, for the fans of the show, of which we certainly are, it might be fun just to talk to a couple of these scenes. Um, and look, we're not going to capture them all because they're, they're, we get it. We could talk all day on this movie. Yeah, hundred percent. So we'll spit some out, have a bit of a yarn, a couple of points, a couple mm. of thoughts. That sounds delicious. Well, look, I thought the uh, the little scene on the hill where they're doing the investigation on the car. And he tells him his big theory. Oh, yeah. I feel like that was a little early in the movie for that. I don't think the tension existed between them. Yeah. And they're like going, you're angry, right? Yeah. You want to go get these guys? Yeah. Yeah. You feel alive. You feel alive. Yeah. You're right. Like they just met. They just met today. Yeah, good point. You know. And then they become best friends when they go back to the precinct or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're jumping on. Yeah, it's like this feels a little rushed. Yep, that's fair. House party. It's a good house party. I wrote that down too. <laughs> I wrote I wrote if Jim Morrison was a house party. <laughs> no, no, it's it's Hendrix playing, but it's just the guys doing that to the camera, maybe that got me. That house party was sick. Lots of I great know. candle. Work. Where are they living? Yeah, they're well this is the, the other beach. thing. They're on the beach. Like that seems like a little Oh, they're robbing banks though, so I guess they got money. Yeah, I guess you got a bit of but they're not hitting vaults. They're not hitting vaults. That's true. That takes some vault money, those kind of houses. That's vault money right there, baby. In 2020 they're in, they're at in least. LA. They're like Malibu. That's, they're basically at waterfront at Malibu. And my understanding is that that's not cheap. The 2020 version of this with no vault money is like, yeah, they have to get a 30-minute bus to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're in Crenshaw. Hey, if you want to, you got to pay the ultimate price. Um. Exactly. <laughs> Stick it to the man. I didn't use my bus ticket, Johnny. Um, Now, look, there's a very important scene we need to discuss uh, somewhat um, when they're doing the stakeout and the robbery and the the meatball sandwiches. You aforementioned Mm. meatball sandwiches. Now, I've got a bit of a take on this. Firstly, I'd like to say that there is an eagerly, Utah, get me two, is, you know, one of the most famous lines of cinema. Get me two. Um, Utah. I would argue there's an equally... Powerful line just slightly ahead of that one. There's a guy trying to sell him oranges uh, Yeah, at the car window. He's like, yeah. what are you selling there? What are you doing? Oranges? No, no. And then Pappas goes, no, no, we don't need them. No, we, no, we don't need them. We've got lots. We've got lots. <laughs> We've got lots of oranges already. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> We've got lots. He's just him. He's obviously just waxing the record here. Yeah, he's 100%. Riffing. It's I think great. They, I think Utah, give me two. I think that, that's improv for sure. For sure. And do you know what, though? Unpacking that a little bit more on this watch, yeah. um, I caught on to something that I'd never noticed before, which makes me like Utah less. Oh, yeah? So Pappas is sitting there. It's 10 a.m. Yeah. He's realized that they're in the vicinity of what he described as the best meatball sandwich he's ever had. It's just around <laughs> the corner. Yeah. It's 10 a.m. He wants two of them. And it's 10 a.m. So this must be a pretty special sandwich, right? Yeah, good point. If you gave me this kind of intel, Tristan, on a stakeout particularly. Yeah. I'm not sure what our version of a stakeout would be. But going out for steak? 
Yeah, or <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I guess I so. Know. And he's basically said the best meatball sandwich I've ever had. And then he goes, oh, I'll go get him. So he goes to get him. He orders two meatball subs. Do you know what he orders himself? Oh, what? Tuna on wheat. I didn't notice that. That oh, is weird. A, wheat, a wheat bread with tuna. And oh. the guy's just told him it's the best meatball sandwich. Yeah. And he's Come on, you still got your wheat. protein. Yeah. And I know you take your skin off chicken, but you're still eating donuts. That, see, that, part, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. That didn't make any sense. You know, so you're obviously willing to make a move when there's something tasty on the table. So why are you not backing Pappas's fucking sandwich recommendation? And, and meatballs at least pass the protein test. It's like, well, at least I'm getting protein. That's easy to justify. Correct. Yeah. So there was a bit there for me. I don't know. You're right. And, but also, I mean, there's a lot of stupidity on show here because what's his name? Puppet Angelo? What's his last name? Pappas. It's his fault ultimately. He's reading fucking the comic strip. He's reading Kelvin and Hobbes. That was <laughs> their the chance fuck? to just nail him. Oh, God. Like it's kind hey, of it's you, dumb on both parts because I think it's kind of out of character for Utah to go and get the sandwiches. Because he'd be like, no, like, I'm staying here. Why would I do we're that? We're doing a steak out. Yeah. Not a, not a meatball sandwich out. Yeah. <laughs> 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 ah, okay. Shower scene. Now, not yeah. as you might think. Uh, shower scene at the beach when uh, Warchild oh, and Bunk and Co. Stay off my wave. Come at yeah. him. Back off, Warchild. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, Warchild. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there were more voice. I got no. I got no impressions on this one. I can't do. I wish I could do a Swayze. I was paying careful attention. He's got this twang, and I can't capture it. But he's got, and he's got a. It's a lot. He sounds like he's a cartoon voice. He's when got he a really that, clean when voice. He, when, he, when he when he yells, it's really it's really husky. He sounds like a, a Simpsons character or someone that exists that I can't quite connect. Yeah. Right. But that I would say, you know, we like to we like to talk um, about our fighties on this on this show. Yeah, uh, man, that's a pretty crisp little um, fight scene. I it would is. say. Yeah, it's interesting. I noticed he, it's it's perfect. My, that's, my, that's pretty close to what you could be doing in that they situation. They had a fight choreographer, and I I didn't capture his name. Was it someone that you knew by chance? I didn't see it. So yeah, they had they had a guy, but yeah, I after doing Roadhouse and whatnot, and learning about his actual, you know, martial arts experience, I wasn't consciously thinking that at the time. But I'm watching this scene. I'm like, man, the man's got them kicks. These kicks, there's some good kicks. They're nice and the they're realistic because you don't offer you don't throw a lot of head kicks in a street fight. That's a pretty risky move. Yeah, uh, especially when there's multiple people around. So. He's doing like, you know, sort of low, low sort of kicks. He's doing short uh, spinning back kicks that are like good for compromised position, um, like close quarters. Yeah. Close quarter combat. You know, you've got multiple guys around you at a short distance. The It's kind of literally how that could have played out if he Fun. knew what he was doing. Yeah, it felt like that. You know, Anthony Nikitas got knocked out immediately because – um, he didn't show up for the fight choreography, so they were like, "Well, if you don't show up, you, you can't really be in it." That. So yeah, so be knocked you out. just have to get taken out first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which was <laughs> I remember we talked about the significance of him being in the movie, and then he's barely in it. Yeah, and you're like oh, I'm yeah, a loser. 
Yeah. So that yeah, so that scene in you know in the in my in my view anyway um, holds up as a fight choreography. I, th- I was really impressed watching that little that little exchange. Yeah, it was good. Understated, I guess maybe. It wasn't over the top. It wasn't like there wasn't fly kicks and. I, d- I didn't like that Bodhi came in and saved him, and then Utah decides to hit the guy. Listen, Bunker, I'm actually really glad you found me. Yeah. Why? And then he hit him, and then and then the fight just started again. It's like it was over. Aye. But that yeah. happens as well. That's true. You get full of adrenaline. That shit happens. So it was kind. Of, I think it just all played out pretty reali- well, realistically. Well, right. realistically, for a you are film. right. You are right. You are right. I'm bought into it. I was like, that's a good scene. Yeah, probably yeah. appreciated a lot more now than I did maybe when I watched it when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I probably would have said, "Why hasn't he done a spinning back wheel fucking roundhouse <laughs> jump?" Ten eighty. Um, moving on to another scene. Yeah, the skydiving scenes were epic. They were good, man. Beautiful, I would, weren't they? I would argue that the stunt work in so Swayze was legitimately skydiving. Correct. His brother um, apparently is quite the skydivist. Yeah. Keanu was not. And somewhat ironically, the stunt surfers were more obvious than the stunt divers. Yeah. Because the diving, if I hadn't read that, I would have thought it was all, yeah, legitimately done. A lot of yeah. it was, but Keanu didn't. Yeah, it was really good. It was quite interesting from a co- – so I read an article – um, it was an interview on the internet about one of the skydiving coaches. Oh, yeah. So this film, you, like it's synonymous with surfing and the impact of this on surfing was huge. You know, you could ask a, lo- a lot of my mates who surf probably started af- after watching this movie. Yeah, right. And it's kind of known for that. Keanu included. Every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but one of the lesser known cultural impacts was skydiving. So apparently before yeah. this movie there was limited exposure. Like we didn't have Facebook or or any sort of socials or internet opportunities to, you know, there wasn't the Red Bull content yeah. engine that exists today and all those things. So I had limited exposure in in the mass in the mass sense. That's a good point. And apparently this movie had a huge impact on skydiving popularity. According to the uh, the guy who was the stunt trainer, right? It's a good point which because is, which is cool. One thing I noticed this time around, which I didn't think about in the old days, was how not necessarily unrealistic, but how I would not be cool with going up in a plane with some dudes that pack their own parachutes, <laughs> doing my first jump, not going tandem. Whereas I would not have thought about this stuff as being important <laughs> because I didn't know anything about skydiving back then because it wasn't a thing. But now we yeah. see it so much. We see our friends upload on the Instagrams, their jump going tandem. Like, you're right. Like, it didn't exist before. And so this wouldn't have seemed, it, the whole thing seemed crazy. You wouldn't think about the fact that these guys packed their own shoots and stuff, which to me now seems fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Um, the final scene, where's the final scene? The Australia scene. So it'd be remiss of us as Aussies <laughs> yeah. down under to not, uh, to not talk to the Aussie scene. My first question to you, Tristan, is how did Bodie get to Australia? He's a wanted felon at this point, right? This is the thing. How did he get fucking anywhere? And he's been chasing <laughs> him all over the world. If you, I never paid attention to this before, but what 
what he actually says when he finds him is like I've, that he's, he's <laughs> followed him everywhere. He found Rosie in Mexico dead or something. So this guy's yeah, been all over the Baja, world. Yeah. Got in a knife fight. <laughs> Not even Australia, but everywhere. He's, it makes he no sense. He said he'd been to every city in Mexico. Now, Mexico <laughs> geographically isn't huge. But There's got to be big. a few cities. And even being in Mexico City, I think Mexico City is about the sixth biggest city in the world. So <laughs> I feel like he could spend six months in Mexico City looking for him before even venturing into the the U the Utah. You can you can you can you can you've been there. I don't know Mexico. Uh, <laughs> in his defence, I guess you could drive to Mexico, but yeah, you can't you can't sneak into Australia. Unless you surf, maybe you surf. That's there. the thing about Australia; it's yeah. really far from everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a little fun fact: I'm fairly sure they weren't in Australia because this is representative of a time where the only Australian that Hollywood had access to was Peter Phelps, uh, because <laughs> he was the only one with a legitimate Australian accent. So he must have been. Was he still doing Baywatch at that time? I think so. Yeah. Or so had Peter just Phelps started is, even. Uh, he's a, you know, he's a well-known Aussie guy. Um, he was in Baywatch in the early years as the uh, as the spunky yeah. competitive <laughs> guy that was the he was the Mitch Buchanan of the next beach. Yeah, um, they they battled. <laughs> so yeah, he's the guy that gives the deck on a stick out there line quite famously. Anybody been out there? No one's been out. No one's going out. It's gonna be fucking crazy, man. Death on a stick out there, mate. And then there's a bunch of other guys that can't do Australian accents. There's no way. We'll get him. We'll get him when he comes back in. <laughs> it's not coming back in. I'm pretty sure one of them yelled out, that's not a knife. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you know what the best bit of that end was? Carol goes, where is he? I'm like, no, he, he's not coming. She goes, but how does he know he's not coming back in? Did he let him go? I'm like, no, no, he's died. He's died. He's, 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 look, he's off the board. It's a big wave. He's drowned. She goes, we don't know that. We haven't seen a body. <laughs> That's she's, she's dropping Bodhi conspiracy theories that he's living in the northern rivers of New South Wales. <laughs> he's still living in the rivers. <laughs> he's moved up to he's moved up to Mullumbimby, and he's protesting five G five G towers. I, I think that is maybe the one part because there's no CGI and shit. Then I guess that was a real wave that some guy caught and fell off. So it's it's still within the realm of possibility that he. Because someone did that and didn't die in the shot, right? The yeah. stuntman or whatever. So yeah, I, big wave riders do fall off. Yeah, exactly. So in Carol's defense, I would argue that, yeah. Kind of checks that, out a little bit. That would be the one thing if it was made today that would make that a bigger wave, surely, or or just have a fake, a more obvious yeah. death. Well, apparently it was Waimea. The actual wave was Waimea. Because I, I messaged Matt uh, I was, Stevens. I was like, could people actually paddle out into that stuff? Like that sounds, you get a drop from a helicopter or whatever. Do the tow ins yeah. or whatever, yeah. And he said, Yeah, well, it's actually it's filmed at Waimea. So ah. the town was in Oregon or something, like it's in America, the town. It's not actually Australia. And then it's the the wave was um, Waimea. Right. Huh. So there's not a lot of Australia there. No, there's no Australia there. Yeah. I was going to talk to Boosie a bit. Yeah, you want to jump into Boosie? Yeah, well, it'd be, look, this is our first Boosie joint. Uh, be remiss of us not to talk to him for a little bit because isn't he just a riddle wrapped in some con- crazy confusion? So Gary, he's an interesting guy. He's an interesting guy. Like he's pretty well known for being a bit of a crazy cat. So 
I thought we'd give our listeners and friends of the show just a little bit of a spiel on on Gary Boosie. Yeah, because let's be honest, there's going to be more Keanu movies we cover. There's probably not yeah. going to be many more Boosies we cover. So, Lethal Weapon, one or two, one, one, Mister Joshua, and then Drop Zone. He's in Drop Zone. Uh, is we'll he in Drop Zone? That. Is he? That's why I thought. Him, I think he is. I'm afraid to fly. Oh, yeah. Well, do you know he was quite the muso back in the day? And I sent you a uh, clip earlier of him rocking with it's Jerry Lee Lewis on the keys, Keith Richards on guitar, and Gary Busey singing. So as it turns out, he actually played Buddy Holly as a biopic oh, back that's in 1978. Because right. did he win an Oscar for that? Or was nominated? He didn't, but he got nominated. So that's like his best. But know, he's holding his in own that in that clip. That clip you just played. What the fuck? He sounds good. Yeah, he's a, he's a proper musico. Musico? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a proper muso. He was a drummer, I believe, and he can musico. sing, obviously. And yeah. He's, he's, yeah. It's a proper so musico. Um, he look. He had an accident in '95, I think it was '98. Well, no, this is the thing. So his accident was before this movie, unless he had two accidents, because this was the first movie he did since his motorcycle accident. Right. Sorry, I've got my years mixed up. No, but this is interesting because I I had assumed that he had an accident way later because it's not that he's not that weird in this movie. Well, I I think yeah. My understanding of the accident is it didn't. Don't know if he like flicked a switch with it or if it's sort of right, just over accumulated. Time. Yeah, uh, right. Because he didn't actually get diagnosed with anything, but since then, I think it was on celebrity uh, rehab. Ah, he's quite the the available um, celebrity. It, it seems. Well, I, I I saw him once on Celebrity Apprentice. Yeah, I saw him on the street in New York. They were doing they were doing um, Celebrity Apprentice in uh, Madison. Madison Square, because my office was just next to there. And so I went down at lunchtime and Gary Boosie's right there, the other Baldwin's there. And I met I met um I met Lil John and Dennis Rodman. Yeah, got, yeah. Remember I got a photo with those guys. Oh what? Um and Gary Boosie was there, but I only, I took a photo of him from far away. They were selling deodorant or something. So he's got some ideas. Can I I'll just rattle off the celebrity things he's done. Yeah. Celebrity Fit Club. Celebrity Paranormal <laughs> Project, Celebrity Apprentice, Celebrity Big Brother, Celebrity Rehab. Then he went all in and had his own show, I'm with Busey, which was <laughs> just like keeping the keeping up with the Kardashians. So man, he's he's stayed uh, present. He's certainly stayed present. He sure has. He's seventy five years old now. Um, oh, he's wow. doing some interesting inter- insta content as well. A really wonderful thing about having a burger, you have to have a little Sharp, very sharp, pointed toenails called claws. <laughs> and when the bird walks around your head, it takes out grommet and goo and things that get in your skull and the skin on top of your skull. It's not good for your head. And so he de- he detoxifies the head skin that covers the skull. So actually, greening is a, is a as a doctor. He's a foot doctor for everything. He can do with his feet. Okay, bye. So just to give a little context <laughs> there, he has a bird on his head as you say that. It's a budgie, um, a budgerigar. He, he's detoxifying his, his scalp. 
right there, which is quite quite important. Um, uh-huh. So obviously this was rebooted in 2015. I, I never saw it. Did you see that? I saw I, – yeah, I've seen parts of it. it. used to be on Fox still, so I tuned in and out. I haven't seen it properly. Is it a piece of shit? Yeah, I wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. So there's obviously that, which is the official reboot. But then there's other movies that have borrowed so much from this movie. You've got Drop Zone. Remember Drop mm-hmm. Zone? Of Western course. Snipes? And I'm pretty sure it's got Gary Busey. I'm afraid to fly. He says that. I'm, he's like – he's a bad guy in it though. Um, I think it's Busey. Hey, here's some other movies that might be loosely inspired by Point Break. Donnie oh, yeah. Brasco, even though it's based on a true story that happened in the 70s. Um, <laughs> Never Been Kissed. <laughs> she went under, undercover at school. Um, isn't, that, isn't that She's the Man? <laughs> no, it's, it's um, what's her name? Drew Barrymore. We went back to high school undercover. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it's basically this. She's the Johnny Utah in that scenario. Um, right. But obviously we can't talk about this without talking about Fast and the Furious, man. It's shit. It's the more I think about it, the more of a blatant ripoff the first Fast and the Furious is of this movie without any of those additional layers we're talking about. Yeah. And th- there's this weird circular irony that happens though where like fa- the Fast and the Furious was basically – a ripoff of Point Break, but then the new Point Break looks like, I could be wrong, I haven't watched it, looks like it's a ripoff of Fast and the Furious franchise where it's gone into more of like a mm. extreme, you know, there's less foot chases, more extreme chases of, you know, explosions and such. I, I was trying to imagine like a scenario where actually Point Break followed the same trajectory as the Fast and the Furious because you know how Fast and the Furious now, they're basically superheroes. <laughs> It makes no sense. In the last one, Hobson Shaw, like, what's his name? Stringer yeah. Bell is, is superhuman. They call him the Black Superman at some point in it. He's, he's got some kind of superhuman powers. I forget <laughs> what it is. So, like, if, if Point Break stayed on as a franchise and followed that trajectory, yeah. they'd be, be surfing at? a tsunami through Dubai, I imagine. Yeah. I think, I think we'd find out Bodhi is still alive. Probably in, in Point Break 2, 2.2 Break. Definitely. And um, he's been injected with superhuman serum, I imagine. Yeah. Oh, no, it'd have to be, it'd have to be herbal. So he's found some flower. He, yeah, he found a secret flower in Cambodia. Mm. Um, yeah, 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 perfect. On he washed cliffs. up on the shores of Cambodia. I don't even know if that's got he shores. He was taken in by some fishermen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, it's perfect. We just rebooted the, the whole the damn The Miyagi movie. warm touch. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Should we get into the verdict and recast this and such? we've got to get into it. I'm so late for baby help. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I am the law. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting for? Ah! Say what again. Say what again? I dare you. Nothing further. Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that. I would say that this movie is, because we were talking throughout the week of like, do we just love it? Is this a bad movie that we love or is this a good movie? I think this is a good movie. I think it's like this movie accesses yeah. all, all the levels. It's what you bring to it. You can you can watch this movie as a bad movie. You can watch this movie as a great commentary on masculinity. You can watch this movie as 
fucking great tension, nonstop action. There's whatever you bring to it, it's got it. It's and, it's more Fellini than it is Michael Bay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, all right, should we start with recasties? Yeah, how'd you go? I've got a few. I didn't get to a, a like a defined set, but I got a few options. Most of the Bodies. So I've got Chris Hemsworth as a Bodie. Oh yeah, he did the he did do that role where he was the cult leader. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what where movie I got was from, that? What was that called? Uh, what was it called? The the hotel, some hotel. Yeah, it's a good call. Like he he he's a bit of a Bodie, right? He's got it in him. He's got the eyes. He's got the eyes. He's got he's got the everything. I think at one time James Franco could have done it, not now. No, he's too he's too much of a. Uh, he's a cliche. Yeah. Then I stopped trying to recreate Bodie, Swayze's yeah. Bodie, and and I tried to think of new age Bodie, and I got I got two options here: Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Because he's got that weird charisma where you could see him being a cold. He's leader. your Tom Holland of this part of the show, by the way. <laughs> he he is now. He's the top of mind right now. Or very left field, Tyler the Creator. But maybe that's more of a skateboarding. Version. It's a skateboarding version. Lords and then, of Dogtown. Yeah. And then for Johnny Utah, I had Miles Teller because he's very oh, he's, yeah. good, he's a good straight man. Good but then man. actually one of the versions I like the most, which would have, I guess, more comedic hues perhaps, would be Jonah Hill as Johnny Utah and Channing Tatum as Bodie. <laughs> <laughs> and Samuel Jonah L- Hill as Bodie? No, Jonah Hill as Johnny Utah. I like him as Bodie. Really? <laughs> That's funnier. That is funnier. Samuel L. Jackson as Angelo or Yeah. Or Eric Banner as Angelo. That's a serious one actually. Eric Banner as Angelo would be a good one now. Oh like a, yeah. A cop that's kind of past his prime. Um or John Legazamo as Angelo. But I think nice. I think probably LaBeouf, Miles Teller, and John Legazamo might be my or Eric Banner might be my actual Legit recasty. Nice. What about you? Well, I started thinking Paul Walker could be either, and then I went, oh, no, wait, that's Fast and Furious. Yeah, that's right? That, that's when that penny dropped for me. Yeah. He'd be a good He'd be a good Johnny Utah. And then he I was would. like, you know, I, I was struggling a bit, so I went down my usual route. Uh, I've got Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Utah and Zoe Kravitz <laughs> yeah. as Laurie Petty. <laughs> <laughs> and then for I thought you'd like that for the fans. <laughs> And um, <laughs> Bodie. <laughs> Bodie's obviously Tom Bodie, Holland. I've got Tom Holland. <laughs> Aside from Zoe Kravitz, no. that's, that stinks. Oh, no, I th- yeah. <laughs> no, I thought um, Michael B. Jordan's Tom, not bad. Tom Hardy I had as Bodie. Oh, oh, he could go both sides. Yeah. yeah that's good. I think he could. Yeah. I think oh, you said be... as Bodie? Yeah, Bodie. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. had him as Bodie. Yeah. I reckon uh, he's got that wild uh, rebel thing. Going on, he could, he'd be a good Bodie. I reckon. He's got that. He draws you in. Yeah, it's that kind of. You're right. It's a good call. Um, should we get into our our little testies? So yeah. Bechdel test. Nope. Simpsons test. Did Simpsons do it? Actually, yes. Episode fifteen, season twenty one. Yeah. I I think that's beyond the years we watched it. But two fourth grade classes have to merge and share desks, and Millhouse has to share desk. Share a desk with a kid named Bodie, <laughs> and there's a clip for two. I'm pretty sure he's in it for two seconds, and he looks like a little surfer kid. And he's like, "What's up? I'm Bodie." That's literally that's that's, that's all you get. Right. Um, 
porn parody? I couldn't find one. Um, I Googled it and there was some stuff, but it, I don't know if it, I don't know. I, like it, I, I decided maybe it's redundant because this movie is already so erotic. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, special effects. Yeah. The skydiving yeah, and shit holds out, up, man. Checks out. Other than some stunt surfing, I think it's pretty good. Give us your six degrees of damn, Tristan. Shit. I think I got two degrees, my man. Well, go. Um, so War Child is the bad guy in Cyborg. Oh, bam. Yeah. So I go War Child, Van Damme. Damn. Van Damme. Van Damme. <laughs> well played. I'm glad I didn't. That's what I said. Bother. You can't beat that. Yeah. <laughs> Greg, was, Greg was scrambling just before we were recording and I was like, don't worry, don't worry about it. I got this. Got this I covered. almost brought it up earlier in smaller players, but uh, I was like, I'm going to save this one. So he's nice. a New Zealander, New Zealand-born actor slash surfer. Yeah, and he was sure in, is. He was bat- he's been in, he's been in like a, a movie that looks like Bloodsport called Blood Fight. I was looking him up. <laughs> he's in like, <laughs> and even the logo, he looks the same. It's great. Blood Fight. Oh. Who is your MVP? Uh, oh, look, it has to be Bodhi as a character for sure. Yeah, yeah. Fair. And you? Fair. You're going to take the deuce? Uh, I mean, nah. Well, it, it should be the actor, so I'm going to say Bodie too. Low key? Low key, maybe John C. McGinley. I'm taking Pappas for low key. Oh, yeah, actually good point. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's great. Well, that's that might be it for another, another week of Double Impact. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but of course there's a lot more Keanu to talk about. We'll get to in other episodes. Um, next week, I think we're doing two hands, Greg. Oh, yes. Is that so our, first our first Australian film? That's embarrassing. Our first Australian movie. It's taken us 60 so, odd films to get to an Aussie, maybe a reflection of the, uh, American influence we experienced through our childhoods, but we are very keen to have a slow and steady stream of, uh, the many great Australian films um, of this era, so hundred um, percent for our Aussies, we we look forward to talking about it and reminding you of all the good stuff of that one. And to our um, internationals who haven't covered uh, or haven't experienced this film, it's early Heath Ledger and obviously the great Heath Brian Ledger's Brown. breakout role, probably. Yeah, yeah, it is his breakout role. So it's a it's a cracker of a film. Uh, if you listen, mm. if you're still listening, go and watch it ASAP before we do the show. Yeah, it's a really good yeah. movie. Yeah. Oh, spoiler. Oh, yeah. Well, we haven't rewatched it yet, so who the fuck knows? Um, I uh, but I guess that's it. Hey, leave us a review. Leave That'd us a nice. review. Leave us Stay a safe. Review. Stay safe. All, All right. right. See you next week, guys. See you guys. Bop, 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 bop.